On Sunday mornings, we are in the life of David, and we come to 1 Samuel 17, um, David versus Goliath. Call. Let's pray. Lord, we ask now in Jesus' name that you'd open your word to us to behold wondrous things from it. In Jesus' precious and holy name, give us ears to hear. Amen and amen. Well, David, as a little boy, watching a handful of his father's sheep, had a couple of different instances come up. One was a lion. Now, 99.99999% of little boys would say, well, <laughs> don't really have a lot of choice here. Um, the lion's going to get lunch on me today. And my dad, <laughs> um, he's going to eat a couple and then go take a nap and leave us alone. And I'll try to get these sheep into town and tell men what's going on. And then another time with a bear. But both times, David, in the power of the Spirit, went on and took on these giants. And both times, he didn't lose one sheep, and he killed them both. Well, then you might remember later, he was anointed as a little boy to be king by Samuel. And then as the demon spirits were tormenting King Saul, they asked David to come and play his music because he wasn't like everybody else playing the songs. He truly worshipped into the heavenlies. It wasn't his lyre. It wasn't his voice. He was a true worshiper, and it ripped down the strongholds of Satan. And as he worshiped the Lord, the demons fled. We discovered that David was a man of faith. And his giant-sized faith affected his real life. You know, it's important that people don't say, well, your Bible's a spiritual book. N no, no, I, I reject that. Our Bible is a historical document, like any historical document. Well, how do you know it's true? Well, how do you know what they wrote about Abraham Lincoln's true? Well, we, it's history. Exactly. And what they try to do in saying it's spiritual is you got to put your spiritual glasses on and you just sort of let the spirit move you to decide what the Bible says. No. As Christians, we believe a non-Christian can read it like any other historical document and understand what it says. That's important. Because people say, well, I personally have never seen a miracle. Have you read the Bible? Then you've seen a miracle. That would be like saying, I, I, I've never seen a president of the United States. Well, have you heard of George Washington and Abraham Lincoln? And you, you see, if, if you believe that you historically know them and the truth about them, 
It's no different than the Bible. Because if what Genesis 1 said is true, then what Jesus dying and raising again on the third day is true. And whether it happened 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago, it is irrelevant if it is factual history. And what we are reading here, in God's mind, a day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. This is like we could have read it yesterday, right? I mean, well, it was thousands of years ago, and, and it starts becoming this mythological thing. That's what they want you to believe. No. You know, I'm, I'm old enough now to... to blow kids' minds away, you know, back in the 1960s. No way, you were alive, huh? Yeah. <laughs> but I was talking to some of the guys here in the church who are in their 80s, and I'm like, do you remember when World War II ended? We were talking about that last week. Oh, yeah, I totally remember that. That blows my mind to hear them sitting around the radio and hearing the president. But I, I, you can still talk to some of those guys. Not for long. Because they're getting way up into their 80s now. But it, it's... In 10 years from now, if the Lord tarries, you won't probably be able to find any of those guys. I'm sure they'll be around somewhere, but few and far between. And all that we'll have is a historical record about World War II. Nobody speaking alive that can give a document on that. And so it's important here because when we look at this story today, we got to remember that it's something that could have happened yesterday. Even though it was a thousand years ago, it's irrelevant. It doesn't take away from the power of its historicity. I had a guy in our church, he was a fairly new believer, and a guy in his uh, real estate office was saying, man, can you believe this? And he was reading the newspaper, a lady, I don't remember what it was exactly, but 53 years old, had a baby. And my friend, who was a relatively new Christian, came to Christ at our church, he said, I just read about a 90-year-old lady having a baby. <laughs> and he's like, no way. I, you show it to me. And he opened his Bible <laughs> and showed him Sarah. And the guy goes, oh, well, how can you believe that? He goes, well, how can you believe the newspaper? Well, that guy who was an atheist ended up coming to Christ. And a few years later was our children's pastor at our church. <laughs> But this younger Christian, he, he, he wasn't trying to up him or challenge him. He was just like, he had just read that. Yeah, I just read a, about a 53-year-old lady having a, I just read about a 90. To him, it was no different than what was in the newspaper and what was in another historical document, the Bible. And so the whole point when we read these stories is not to say that's a nice little nursery rhyme or that's a nice little story that makes us feel good and comply to our life. The point is, God did this for David yesterday. Oh, maybe a thousand years ago, maybe a three thousand years ago. 
a thousand years is a day. A day is a thousand years. It's irrelevant because God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? And so David, as he is in the palace some, and then he's out as a shepherd some, he sort of has a, a dual job description going on. He's back at home, and Saul is out at the army lines because the Philistines uh, had gathered their armies together, and they had come up on Israeli soil to Sukkoth. That's an area that belongs to the tribe of Judah. Remember, David was of the tribe of Judah. And they encamped between Sukkoth and Azekah in Epis Damon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. Now, when you do a trip to Israel, there's some spots that we go, well, this might have been sort of the kind of thing where Jesus might have taught the Sermon on the Mount. But then there's other spots. This is the spot. And this spot we can go to. It's still there today. That stream is still there, dry most of the time. It feels like being around here with the, the rolling hills and, and the dry uh, gr grass most of the year, except for a little bit of green. It's almost identical. And uh, the, these mountains are not really mountains. They're big hills. And, and then you come down into this dry riverbed, dry most of the time, just full of rocks, probably infinitely full of rocks. When we go there, I, I bring some slingshots. Usually I have a, somebody make a slingshot for everybody, and I whip them out, and everybody's like, no way, and uh, give them a rubber band to put a rock in it and tie it up into it. But we all you know, get to throw them and hit each other, hit this bus, and you know, when we're, somebody gets injured, we stop. But always the tour guide will, will come up to you. He doesn't want to spoil it for everybody else, and he'll go, we, we got to hurry up because a guy uh, is wanting to come and dump a whole load of rocks here for the next tourist group. <laughs> no, they don't need to dump rocks there. There's plenty there for infinite amount of people that want to go uh, to that place and find a rock. There's still plenty of smooth stones left. But it is amazing to realize this is where David stood. There's where Goliath stood. Here is the hills, the very hills. This is the very riverbed. And so anyway, the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side in the valley between them. And the champion went up from the captain of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now, if a cubit's 18 inches or 22 inches, that would put him a bit over 8 feet and all the way up possibly to 11 feet tall. Uh, most rounded out right around um, uh, 9 feet, nine, a bit over 9 feet. Well, he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he had armed with the coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, about 150 pounds, his uh, torso instrument there. And he had bronze armor on his legs, bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like the weaver's beam. His iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, 20 pounds. And the shield bearer went before him. We're not even going to calculate how much that shield weighed. It was a crazy amount. But imagine if the spearhead weighed 20 pounds, how long would that shaft have to be to balance that thing? How heavy must it be 
to balance that thing. So imagine trying to throw a spear that weighed 70, 80 pounds. This guy was indeed monstrous. And he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said, why have you come out to line up for battle? Or should I say, why have you come out to line up for battle? I don't know. For I am not a Philistine, and you, the servants of Saul, choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. Lie. They wouldn't have done that. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. And the Philistine says, I defy the armies of Israel this day and give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and, notice, greatly afraid. So he was coming out and being incredibly intimidating, incredibly fierce. This is psychological warfare. If you can try to overwhelm them psychologically that no matter how hard they try, they're going to fail. That psychological advantage is huge. And this is often the way man does to man. Puts a fear upon him to try to create an advantage. Salespeople will do that, right? Sometimes they're selling a house. It's like, Oh, man, I hate to tell you, but there's three people right behind you, and and one of them, this is their second time to look at the house. So you you better put an offer in pretty quick. Anybody ever been told something like that before? (laughs) To create this anxiety, to create this fear, to say, i got to act now because if I don't, I'm going to... God's not in that. God's not in that. When that happens, go the opposite direction. God will not honor choices made out of fear like that. But here he's he's trying to create this psychological warfare against Israel, and it was working. Now, David was the son of the Ephraimite of Bethlehem of Judah, whose name was Jesse, who had eight sons. We learned this in the last chapter. The last chapter and this chapter where the chronological fall, it's hard to know. I think chapter 17 probably falls somewhere in the middle of of chapter 16. But either way, um, it wasn't important in the Eastern mindset. Chronological order is very important to us in our mindset of history, but not so in the Eastern mindset. But the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul, and the three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to battle. The names of the three sons were went to battle were Elab, the firstborn, and Abinadab, and the third Shema. We had learned about these in the last chapter. But David was the youngest, and these oldest followed Saul. Now, just a little note on David's work schedule. David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So David's heart was to not stay in the palace and take it easy in the royal lifestyle. His heart was back home with the sheep. And when he could get away uh, from being a, a royal person in the palace for the king, he would go out and take the lowliest of the caste, in the caste system there was, the lowliest of lowliest jobs. He loved being with the sheep. 
Don't you just love that about David? Don't you just love that? I mean, God loves to use men who love hanging out with the sheep, right? Jesus, that's what he just said. I mean, I'm just, yeah, I'm a, from Nazareth. I'm a carpenter, but, you know, really, I'm a shepherd. I'm the good shepherd, and I just love being with my sheep. I love my sheep hearing my voice and following me, and I feed them and take them in and out of pasture. Jesus, our Lord, and going to fight against the enemy, the Father called him from amongst the sheep as well. Well, the Philistine drew near and presented himself for 40 days, morning and evening. So this was going on. 40, as you remember, is the number of trials. 40 days and flooding the earth. 40 years in the desert. Jesus was tempted for 40 days. 40 is the number of testing trials. And so 40 days, he's come out and just every day, I think they probably shrink a little bit more. That early morning, they're not wanting to wake up, and hopefully they're, it's all been a dream that they're out here in battle, and then they hear Goliath's voice and, you know, get goosebumps, and they go out there, and he's taller and bigger than the day before, fiercer, and walked a little closer to them than the day before. And then after lunch, their gut begins to feel sick again, and that hour is coming, and Goliath's going to show up again, and this time he might run at him or... And day after day after day, for 40 days, this went on. And then Jesse said to his son, Take now for your brothers and Ephrah and his dried grain and the ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these ten cheeses to the captains of the thousands and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. And Saul and they and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting for the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep and the keeper and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as many as the army was going to fight and shouting for the battle. And Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them and all the men of Israel. And when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the armies would come out and scream at each other, and then it would end when Goliath showed up and would give his spill, and then Israel would just be dreadfully afraid and and go home, go back to their tents there with great fear in their hearts. Interesting, in Psalm 27, David says, the Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? Well, the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who comes up? Surely he has come to to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich great riches, will give him his daughter, give him his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. So David comes up going, you know, what's happening here? And evidently at this point, David said something to the effect Why hasn't somebody gone over and killed that giant, by the way? We're going to know that from later when he talks to Saul 
evidently David said something, and they're like, well, David, you should step up because the king is going to give you lots of riches. You're going to get a, a beautiful princess out of this, and uh, your entire family will no longer have to pay taxes. And David gets this news update, but then he wants to confirm it with other sources. And so in verse 26, he spoke to some other men who stood by and said, now what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same manner saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now his brother, uh, Elib, his oldest brother heard when he spoke to these men and Elib's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride, the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Wow. We, we realize that not only did his father, Jesse, not value David, his brothers really thought evil of him. There is nothing good going on in you, David. You've run away, snuck away. It sounds like you just leaving those sheep defenseless. Poor dad's going to get poor thanks to you because no one's watching the sheep. And, and what's the real reason you came down here? What's the real reason you're asking? You just want to see bloodshed. You just want to see a battle. You're just curious and your curiosity is wicked. Well, David ignores his older brother, and he said, What have I done now? Is there any cause to turn from him towards another? And said the same thing. These people answered him as the first ones did. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul. And he sent for him, and David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But say, David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. There's a great quote that says this, God's past faithfulness demands our current trust in him. Amen. You know, there, there's just that point where you step out in faith where it's like, I, I love that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where they, Nebuchadnezzar heats the fire up seven times hotter and says, now can your God deliver you? Can he? Yes. Will he? I don't know. But either way, we're safe from your hand. If we get burned up in that fire, we're not going to listen to your blasphemous ways anymore. If God does save us from that fire, we're not going to be listening to your blasphemous ways anymore. We win. In Hebrews 11, 
In verse 34, it says, by faith, they were delivered from the sword. Three verses later, in verse 37, it says, by faith, they were killed with the sword. It can look either way. You know, you, you look at James, the apostle of our Lord, probably about six months after being apostle. Jesus prepares this guy for three years, the 12 apostles, and only a few months into being apostle, he's beheaded by Herod. And you say, now how, how can the Lord be in that? But then an angel comes, kicks Peter in the side, and delivers him from prison. Well, what's going on here? Who knows the mind of the Lord that we can instruct him? Either way, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Paul said, the Lord's revealed to me, my work is done here. He's actually said, Paul, you can come on home right now. Or you can keep serving the church for a little longer on earth. And Paul's like, I want to go. I want to get out of here. I want to go be with the Lord. But yet to stay here with the church, even though it means more trials and difficulties and sufferings, it's needful that I continue to bear fruit in the churches. What a, what a beautiful heart of faith. There comes that place, guys, that faith, the Bible, God, Christianity stops being theoretical and becomes real. And you put your life on it. You bet your life on it. The fact is, is, is we look at this story and had this little boy gone out against Goliath and lost, would he have been any less of a hero to us? No. It would have been sort of scratching our head to try to figure out what the Lord is saying. Like James, who died after a few months of being an apostle. We're like going, well, is James less victorious than Peter who got out of prison? No. Why, why did the Lord allow him to be killed by Herod? And yet the day before Peter was going to be killed, he got released by an angel. I don't know. I know as you read Hebrews 11, it says all of them died in faith, not receiving the promises. But they saw them by faith afar off, and they embraced them as though they already had them. And more importantly than anything, they let go of this world, and they looked for another world whose builder and maker was God. And God was well pleased to be called their God. The last part of Hebrews 11, sort of a bummer. By faith, they were sawn in two. By faith, they were stretched out, burned in the sun. By faith, they wandered around in caves and holes in the ground, hiding, running for their lives from the persecution. And does God say these guys that are sawn in two and put in, you know, burned at the stake and hiding out in holes in the caves in the ground, hungry, destitute. What, what does he say about them? These guys all were radically walking in faith, and the world is not worthy of them. And nobody's going to get glorified before them. We're all going to get glorified together. What's it look like? There's just that point, like the spirit of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm going. <laughs> 
to walk by faith. I'm putting my life on it. And it, you know what? I'm victorious. Whether God delivers me from your hand or not, I'm victorious because I'm walking in faith. Guys, I'm just telling you, every day in and of itself is a gift. Today is like a Rembrandt painting, okay? At the end of that day is, is a, a painting that's worth billions of dollars. One day of life is precious. And the Bible makes it clear. We just take one day at a time. So we wake up in the morning. We live most hours doing what we have to do. A few hours that we have choices to make. Then we lay our head on the pillow at night and contemplate that day. And I just simply say to you, walk by faith, whatever it is. It's stepping out and sharing your faith with somebody at the gas pump. Whether it's just saying, Lord, lead me in my prayer life right now and just let God's spirit lead you to intercession, praying for people that you hardly know or people that come to mind. Putting God first in your day, seeking first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, just waking up, rolling out of bed on your knees, going, God, this is your day you've made. I want to live every second, every breath for your glory. Give me the power, Lord. That is no different than David going against this giant. It says in Romans 1 that the righteous are going to be righteous from faith, what? To faith. Why did David have faith on this day? Because David had walked by faith on other days. For David, he woke up this morning and his heart was full of faith. Satan had been coming at him almost his whole life. Either through gigantic animals or by demons attacking his king rejection from his father and not getting bitter, being cruelly treated by his brothers and not hating them and despising them. David was a guy that walked by faith. When he worshiped with his instrument, it was in faith. And God received that gift of faith. And it was worship and powerful. Now, David couldn't see it. He was just out there singing and enjoying it and writing songs about nature and the powerfulness of God. He had no idea that, that it was so spiritual and so powerful until it came into the palace next to a king that had demons attacking him. And then he realized, wow, when I worship God, there's something powerful in it. I didn't even understand to the degree the power of that worship. You all came here today to church by faith. Some of you limped in here. <laughs> Some of you just crawled in here. Some of you were sort of half dragged in here. Some of you were boldly going, woohoo, God's going to speak to me today. I'm going to worship the Lord today. 
I'm going to try to pray for somebody today and encourage somebody today. I'm going to, I want to share, boy, God, last Tuesday, I was reading the Ephesians chapter four and the Lord spoke this and I can't, I can't wait to get to church and tell somebody about what the Lord spoke to my heart this last week in my devotional time. A faith, all the men of old, 100% of all the men of old, it says in Hebrews 11, that gained pleasure with God. They did it by what? Faith. Now, I would have thought they had done it by obedience or by holiness or by righteous acts. I could think of a lot of other things that God would have said that would have played right along in my mind of theology. But it, it is a little surprising to me that he breaks it all down into just saying, these guys walked in faith. And we see them like Abraham left his home and it was faith to faith. Noah started building that ark in 120 years every day. It was hard as the day before, if not harder as he was getting higher and the thing was getting more sophisticated and people were getting more mean towards him. But yet faith to faith to faith, he woke up every day trusting that although it had never rained ever in the history of the universe at that time, it was going to rain. He couldn't imagine it. He couldn't picture it. He didn't understand how, but God spoke it to him and he built a boat in faith, believing the world would be flooded. In the same way, we believe the rapture of the church is near. We just went through Revelation. Man, I, 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 I quit putting the change in my pocket just in case the rapture happens. I get there a little quicker than you. The Lord is coming back. The Lord, there's divine opportunities. God's made us to have good works. He's predestined good works that we should walk in them. Today is a unique day, like no other day that will ever be experienced. God created this beautiful, fabulous work of art today. Another second, like this second, will never happen again, ever. It just happened. This day, there'll never be another day like it in all of eternity. It's gone, and you are alive. And I guarantee you, God has pre preordained good works as people for you to touch. Did you touch everybody you were to touch? There's people for you to hug. Did you hug everybody you were to hug? There's words that are going to set people free. They're going to bring healing and encouragement. Did you say everything that Jesus wanted you to speak today? A lot of them, unless you're consciously living your life by faith, waking up in faith and living the day to the, put your head on the pillow in faith. Those things won't be happening. Do you, do you understand? In essence, when we read this story, we come to say, yeah, David killed the giant that day because there was a giant to be killed that day. And as we go on in the story, there's four brothers of Goliath that his mighty men end up killing. They all walked in faith as David walked in faith. So as we read this story, God's basically saying, let's walk in faith in the same heart as David, this man after God's own heart. 
Well, Saul tries to give him his armor in verse 38 and 39, and David says, I can't use this armor. I've never used any armor. I'm just a simple shepherd boy. All I know is the sling. But Saul probably feeling guilty because he knew he's the biggest and the tallest with the best armor. Goliath is the biggest and the tallest with the best armor. It was obvious to everybody. You send out your biggest guy, we send out our biggest guy. But Saul wasn't going out. <laughs> but hey, I, I feel a little guilty about this. Uh, why don't you take the best armor in Israel, mine? And David's like, nah, that, that's, that's not the message. Again, God wants it all of faith. He doesn't want us to perfect in the flesh what he's doing by the Spirit. He doesn't want us to energize it with the arm of our flesh. Well, in verse 40 there, so he took his staff in his hand. He chose for himself five smooth stones and down at the brook. So David at this point didn't even have rocks with him. But he put them in a shepherd's bag in the pouch, which he had. His sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. And the Philistine looked about and saw David, and he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy, good-looking. He didn't look like a warrior, mean, and scars on his face, and, and you know, muscles. Per, you know, you, you get a guy who's an experienced soldier, he sort of got that edge, like this guy has seen battles. And David comes up looking like he just, uh, you know, got, got from the beauty parlor or something. I don't know. You know, his hair's all flowing, not one scar on him. You know, it, it's just anything but a warrior. So David didn't look like a king. And now David didn't look like a warrior. And this really offended Goliath. The Philistines said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? The Philistines cursed David by his gods, Dagon, Asherus, I don't know. And the Philistines said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. So again, intimidation, trying to make David fear and, and get that psychological ed edge on David. David said to the Philistine, you come to me, I think he was maybe even chuckling. You come to me with a sword and with a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied this day, not tomorrow, this day. The Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. Wow, I just, he just upped uh, Goliath in this psychological game. <laughs> and this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts. So not just your body am I going to give the birds. As, as Goliath said, I'm going to give all the armies of all of the Philistines to the birds. And, and also the wild beasts of the earth. And that, listen, all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly, Israel, who's been quaking in their boots for 40 days in a row, needlessly, shall know that the Lord does not save with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into, notice, our hands. Wow. Man, words of faith, they just go into your spirit. 
We're all facing giants, aren't we? Health giants. Our brother Nathan Dunn right now fighting cancer. Financial giants. Relationship giants. Friendship giants. Giants in the family situation. Satan coming in and and getting his gnarly little slithering self, trying to destroy the relationship between you and your siblings, between you and your parents between two of you and your kids, between spouse and spouse, between people in the church. Satan is a roaring lion prowling around, waiting to find some little weak link and start pawing at it, try to break the chain. He's out to not just steal, not just kill, but destroy, right? He is, he's vicious, He wants to tear you to pieces. The fact that you even think of Jesus makes him want to rip you to shreds. The fact that you have any hope in God makes makes him hate your guts like you can't believe. You showing up to church today, he wants you to pay for that. You're going to have demons attacking you on your way here, on your way home, trying to take the little seeds out of your heart. Make sure nothing germinates and grows and matures. We're daily in a spiritual battle, right? And so David here is is just saying what all of us need to say every day. I, I can't carry this. It's too heavy for me. Lord, I cast this upon you because you care for me. Lord, I can't worry about anything because it's just smashing me. It's destroying my emotional life. It's causing me to begin to ner- have a nervous breakdown. I, I, I don't want to worry about anything. I want to pray about everything and just trust you through prayer and supplication and thanksgiving just to let you take care of it. We all have giants. And every day we wake up, we may be facing a giant we had no idea we were going to face. Just had a little wagon with some cheese. Going to go out and see my brothers and pass it out to their the, the guys over them so they have a little easier task. They don't have to dig the holes as often as everybody else because I gave them some cheese. And, and all of a sudden, I'm facing off. <laughs> Mono e giant. Um, <laughs> this little boy with the slingshot. And this experienced soldier, this gigantic guy with hundreds of pounds of armor and spears and swords. Well, so it was in verse 48, when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David. So he's going towards David, that David hurried and ran towards the army to meet the Philistine. So David's not standing still, shocked. David was ready to run towards him anyway. So as soon as he started running at him, David starts running at him. He's got his javelin probably set, ready to throw it. But David hadn't even yet put a rock in his sling. That's how trusting that God was going to do this. So he's running at him, fishing around in his bag, trying to grab one of the five stones. And he grabs it out, took it a stone out, and he slung it at the Philistine, and he hit him in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. 
So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. And there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw, when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley of the gates of Ekron, all the way back to the Philistine country, emptying them out of the land of Judah. And he wounded, and the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road, Asherim, even as far as Gath and Ekron, the two large uh, two of the five large Philistine cities. Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem and put his armor in his tent. Now, this is interesting because we're going to see later on when David becomes king and he's going to come against Jerusalem they said, we're just going to have the old people and the blind people fight against Israel. They had no respect for Israel whatsoever. They had no fear. And the Israeli armies are all quite a ways away on the other side of Bethlehem, heading out, going towards Ekron. So their gates are open. They're not worried about anything. And all of a sudden, this little boy comes running around up the hill, and they have no idea what's going on. He's got something on a stick. And he goes running through Jerusalem, David, with this gigantic head, running through it, and in essence saying to them, you're next. Just as God defeated this enemy, God's going to defeat you. He would be many decades until David would take Jerusalem, and that would become the place where God would put his name. But when Saul saw David going against the Philistines, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, inquire whose son this young man is. So David was in the palace. He was playing the music, but he was just a part of the orchestra to some degree. He had not yet been pointed out by Saul. Yet David loved Saul greatly. We know that from the last chapter, but he did not recognize him outside of the palace in this shepherd outfit. Um, it, it didn't dawn on him that this was the, the little boy playing the lyre and singing in the palace. And Abner, of course, he was clueless about these things. He was a general out with the armies. And then David returned from the slaughter of the Philistines. Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Wow. You remember on the road to Emmaus, Jesus doesn't reveal to two of his apostles that it's him. But he starts sharing from all the scriptures how Jesus must come and die and raise again. And all their, their eyes were open, their hearts burned within them as they saw Jesus through the pages of the Bible. This is what should happen here. This all is pointing 
to Jesus. The faith of Jesus, the heart of Jesus. Jesus looking to his Father and the power. So Jesus was sent (laughs) by his Father into the spiritual battle, wasn't he? Born in Bethlehem, interesting enough. But a simple man with no prestige amongst his people. His brothers didn't respect him either, as David's brothers didn't his. And Jesus comes on the scene, and, and he has to fight Satan himself in the desert for 40 days. He's got to fight these Pharisees and Sadducees as they're trying to kill him, and all of these demonic people possessing, trying to undercut him and confuse him. And Jesus continues to press in and tell like David, without sword, without spear, the battle would be won by the power of God and to deliver that all the earth would know, not just the assembly there, but that all the earth would know that the battle is the Lord's and he alone will bring salvation. Amen. Well, Lord, we come before you today and we know you alone, there is salvation. We look at the hard-hearted Philistines in our area and we know there's no Philistine that you can't take down, God. We know the power of your spirit in reaching our sinful hearts. We know how many times we've been rebellious. We know how many times we've been grievous. We know how many times we've been addicted. There's no many times that we've been stuck in those places and it didn't seem that we were going to get out of them. But then the power of your spirit reached us. And like David said, where can I go from your presence? We're hedged in behind, hedged in and before us, that if we were to sin in heaven, you'd be there. If we were to slip down into the hell itself, you would be there to save us. There is nowhere that your salvation doesn't reach in all the earth. And we come before you now, Lord, because you have called us to have this heart, this single story known throughout the world, probably the, one of the best known stories of all peoples, of all literatures, of all times. Know this story. There's something unique about this power that David had by faith, the confidence he had by faith. Even though in every possible scenario he should lose, he was confident he would win. Just as we are to be confident as we walk by faith in you, whatever the outcome, whether we Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whether we get burned up or come back out alive, either way, we're victorious. That by faith, we are killed by the sword. By faith, we are saved from the sword. By faith, women have brought their dead back from life again. And by faith, people have been sawn in two and killed in many different ways. And your name would be glorified in all the earth. Lord, we don't look at the results. We look at the walking by faith in your will. Lord, we ask this week that we would take on every day, a day at a time, and have a submissive heart to see you 
slaying the giants in our lives, and more importantly, just walking by faith, by faith, by faith, glorifying your name in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Amen.